God is the one who we've come to please and come to share our love with today. Well, as we think about uh, baptism, uh, it's been several years ago now that I take, took a group of people to uh, Israel. And one of the things that uh, several of them said is, well, we get to be in the Jordan River. Some of them said, we've been baptized, but, but we really want to go to the Jordan River and renew our vows in the Jordan River. Could we do that? And of course, we said, certainly. Well, when you do that uh, in the Jordan River, you, there's a certain place for that, and you go in if you're going to go into the water, and you put on a white uh, gown. And so um, you can see some of us there just getting ready to do that. And, and, and some of the people weren't quite as committed. They said, well, we would like to renew our vows, but could we stay on the side? We're Presbyterians. And so, so we had some on the side, and we, we, we sprinkled and, 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 and did that. And then we got down into the river, there were little fish biting at our feet. We did notice that. And um, one of the things that happened then is we baptized or re- really reaffirmed the baptism of several people. And it was a very, very meaningful experience. After we uh, reaffirmed the baptism of, I suppose, maybe about seven people, um, then they, as we were walking out, two of my best friends said, we want to do you. I said, oh, no, not necessary, not necessary. Nope, we are, we're not leaving this water until we do you. And I said, no, not necessary. And then they said, we're going to do you. I realized that there was, uh, since one of them was a lot bigger than me, I realized that there was no saying no. And so what I did is said, okay. And so uh, you can see, I guess this might even be me, right? That is me right there. And uh, as, uh, as they're ready to put me in, and this is by immersion, of course, all the way in, they put my head down and my feet came up. I'm, I'm somewhat buoyant, I guess. And then they pushed my feet down and my head came up. And after trying several times to pull that one off, I said, let's try one more time. And so I got stiff and it was like the Titanic. If you've seen that movie, it was going down like this. And I'm so grateful that somehow we've misplaced that photo. Um, it, it's sort of by design. But... Uh, it was a very meaningful experience as we reflected upon it, and I realized this is the picture there is right after it happened. Uh, it, was a, it was really, truly an amusing uh, time. But uh, from the beginning of the Christian movement, baptism has been central. It's been important. It's been at the very core of what we believe. Even before Jesus, there was baptism. Did you realize that? There was a rite of passage for those who wanted to become Jews. And it symbolized the cleansing, uh, the purification, as proselytes would be baptized into the Hebrew faith. John the Baptist was a part of a community called the Essene community, down by the the Dead Sea. And uh, uh, there they had a pool where they baptized people, purified people. We know that Jesus, before he was tempted in the wilderness and before he starts his ministry of preaching and teaching and healing, Jesus is baptized. At the end of Jesus' ministry, as a part of the Great Commission, when he's speaking those last important words to his disciples, he speaks about baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't elective. It was something that was was essential, and not just a nice possibility, but something that was very important for them. At the birthday of the church at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, we know the story of how there were 
3,000 people who said, what shall we do after Peter's message? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, all of you. And we're told that 3,000 of them repented and became believers. And what did they do next? If you read the account, they were baptized. Regardless of the group or denomination, and regardless of what form it takes, baptism is a part of the response of every Christian community as we worship our audience of one. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite events in the book of Acts. Probably the book of Acts shouldn't be uh, titled the book, the, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Maybe it should be better titled the, the book of the Acts of the Spirit. And we find in chapter uh, 15 and 16 some interesting happenings. Uh, before I read, uh, just give you a background before I read uh, 16, uh, 25 through 34, uh, where Paul and Silas are in prison, just give you a little background. In the chapter before, there's a division, a division between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas had taken uh, Paul under his wings. He'd mentored him. And now uh, there's a division over a young man, John Mark. And so uh, Barnabas and John Mark go in one direction and do go on, on one journey and then Paul and Silas go in another direction. And we're told, as Paul and Silas take off, that they're kept by the Spirit from going in a couple of directions. And it's like, God, why are you closing these doors in front of us? And then Paul has a dream. It's a dream that a man from Macedonia says, come over and help us. And so he goes for the first time to Europe, which is northern Greece, Macedonia. And there he goes and spends some time at Philippi. And and later he'll write a letter to that church. But the first person who becomes a believer there is Lydia, a very successful businesswoman. She and her whole household are baptized. And then Paul and Silas do what they usually do. They go to the marketplace and they start sharing the good news about Jesus. There's a young woman who starts following them. And as she follows them, it's easy to see that she's a soothsayer. Paul and Silas believe there's an evil spirit within her. They call out that spirit. That makes the people who are handlers and making money off of her very, very angry. And so they are taken to the magistrates. They are beaten with rods, which was a gory thing as their backs were literally cut up. And then they were thrown into a maximum security prison. And I've been right there uh, where they thought that took place. And then they were put in maximum security, the, the inner cell. And I want to tell you that prisons in that day were not very nice. We think prisons today leave a little to be desired, but they were dark, they were damp, they were dirty, they were filled with all kinds of insects and all kinds of vermin, a not a nice place to be. That's where we pick it up. And a delightful story found in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. And if you would, follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen as I read from this passage. Now, Paul and Silas are in prison, and it's about midnight, and Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoners, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then get this, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. May God uh, help us to apply his word to our lives, and may he make it come alive as we talk about this passage and as we talk about baptism today. Let us pray. God, thanks for the way that you meet us when we come to a worship service like this, and we would want you to be the audience of one. Help us to kind of fade into the crowd, and may you be the prominent one today. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. It's interesting that prayers and songs at midnight lead to baptisms in the Philippian prison. Prayers and songs at midnight. Can you imagine that? I want to tell you, if I had been Paul and Silas, I wouldn't have been praying and singing. I got a feeling I would have been shaking my fist at God. God, you closed doors. You called me over here. And now this? What did I do to deserve this, God? I think I might have had a giant pity party right there on the spot. But what happens with them? They praise God. And I got a feeling that the songs that they were singing weren't dirges. They weren't uh, talking about all of their troubles and all of their pain. I got a feeling they were focusing their attention on God. And they were songs that were uh, uplifting and, and songs of adoration and praise to God. Well, the prisons weren't very large then. And so without question, the other prisoners heard them. And I got a feeling it wasn't, will you guys shut up? It wasn't that. I got a feeling it was, wow, these guys are different. And they stopped and they started listening to their prayers and started listening to their songs. And I'm sure many of them were profoundly moved. But not only did the other prisoners hear them, but God heard them. And we are told that there was an earthquake that shook the very foundation of the prison. Earthquakes are common in those parts of the world. Often we hear about devastating earthquakes that take place there. The doors were opened, and the chains fell off the prisoners. There was liberation. And again, had it been me, and I'm not proud of this, but had it been me, I would have been out of there as fast as I could get. I mean, wow, thank you, God, I'm gone. That's what it would have been. But Paul and Silas were so much in touch with God that when the jailer wakes up, they're all still there. When the jailer sees that the doors are open and the light that that he can just barely see by he, uh, he takes out a sword and he's prepared to kill himself. The reason being that if he didn't do it, he would be executed immediately 
That's what happened to jailers. That was a practice in the Roman way of looking at things if your prisoners escaped. But there's an intervention. Paul quickly shouts out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Jailer can't believe it. He calls for lights. And then he falls at the feet of Paul and Silas and says those words that maybe you've heard before. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? God turns a nightmare for Paul and Silas into an impossible dream realized. Paul and Silas reply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they go on to unpack for him what that means for him and his family. They tell him, I'm sure, that your sins can be forgiven, the past dimension. And then in the present, as he's trying to process, how can these guys who've been beaten, whose backs are raw with pain and and, in the dirt and the filth of this place, how can these guys be so so, uh, peaceful and joyful? And I'm sure they say that the life in the present that Christ comes to bring is a life filled with joy and peace, even though life is difficult around us. And then I believe they probably talked about the future and the hope that as long as he lived, Jesus would be with him, and after that, he would be with Jesus. That all makes sense to the jailer. The jailer immediately takes action as he believes. He washes Paul and Silas's wounds. He could have been in big trouble for that, for sure. And then the jailer and his household are washed in the water of baptism. They're proclaiming to their whole world that they have become followers of Christ, that they're beginning a new life with Christ. Still the middle of the night, and the jailer takes Paul and Silas to his house. I want to tell you, this is highly irregular. uh, Scott mentioned uh, the Kairos ministry, and I've been in several prisons, as many of you have, and one of the last things you would ever do is take prisoners to your home. Never. It's against the rules in every way. And yet that's what he does. And then he brings out food and, and, and they celebrate together what has happened to not only this, the jailer, but also his whole family. Baptism is a wonderful outward action to publicly demonstrate a very real inward commitment to our audience of one. It's dramatically acting out a cleansing of forgiveness. It's a marvelous depiction of the beginning of a new spiritual birth. Just as water breaks before a baby is born, so before that new birth takes place, water is mentioned. I want to say that that story, which is beautiful, is not just a story that happened back then, but doesn't happen today. I believe that when we kneel in humility, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, and say, what must I do to be saved? The good news is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. When we take that step, it has a huge impact on our families where our commitment, and that is where our commitment must begin with those who are closest to us, with those who are with us day in and day out. It's so important to let others know 
that we are followers of Jesus. If you should need more information about what that decision could be like for you, if you've never made it and never come to a personal relationship with Christ, um, we would be pleased to share time with you. Maybe it's a series of conversations. Maybe it's one conversation and we just clarify things and you say, yes, that's what I want to do. That's where it all began for me over 50 years ago. And that's where it begins for each one of us, no matter who we are, no matter how famous or, or infamous we might be, that's where it all starts. I want to share a story that I read this week that I really liked. It seems that there was a pastor in Crystal Lake, Illinois, who lost his sister Judy after a five-year battle with cancer. She was a woman, as Steve described her, who was a party animal, a big drinker with self with a self-contented lifestyle. She was, she was someone everyone loved because she exuded excitement and a thrill for life. When Steve tried to share his faith with Christ over the years, she would laugh him off and keep partying. But at the age of 44, her world caved in. She found out that she had breast cancer. She later learned that her husband also had cancer. And adding to the devastation of those two blows, she discovered her husband was having an affair. He subsequently announced he didn't love her anymore, and he left her. It was in that context that she began to ask eternal questions and soon prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. From that time until her death, Jesus and his word and purpose became her priority. With the same gusto she lived life as an unbeliever, she now approached her new life in Christ. Her greatest aim was winning others to Christ. She boldly shared her faith, even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery, praying for miraculous healing from the Lord. Judy ultimately saw, came to see, that the greater miracle would be that for her friends and family to come to know Christ. Even as she struggled for every breath, she talked her way out of the hospital about 10 days before her death so that she could be baptized and publicly pro proclaim Christ as the only way of salvation. Judy invited everyone she knew to come to her baptism service. Under the Spirit's anointing that she powerfully and urgently shared her testimony, her 84-year-old father came to a faith in Christ that night and was also baptized, along with her ex-husband, a number of nieces, a college roommate, her aunt, her sisters, and others. Ten days later, Judy died, and even still, more people came to know the Savior. When Steve read the message she had prepared for her own funeral service, another hundred people prayed to receive Christ that day. I believe the same kinds of things are happening today. Today, you and your family and or your family could be baptized, like the jailer, it may mean first confessing and receiving Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe it's something you've done in the past, but never have made a public statement about it through baptism. You can do that this morning. Maybe like the Philippian jailer, you want to bring your children to be baptized, making a commitment before God to speak and live the gospel so that they will follow it in the future. Today, in a few moments, we will also give the opportunity to reaffirm or renew the commitment you made to your parents, that your parents made or maybe that you made in your baptism. Some traditions um, would 
say that this could take place once a year where we renew our vows. And let me just say a few quick words about baptism so we understand what it's all about. It's one of two sacraments that we have, and a sacrament is a sacred moment in a way beyond our doing when we experience God's grace. The other is the Lord's Supper, which Scott talked about last week. It's a sacred moment instituted by Jesus, which brings us closer to, in a union to Jesus, to our audience of one, and also to the community of faith. It has a vertical dimension to it as we make a commitment before to God, and then it has a horizontal commitment as we also make a commitment before the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of faith. And it's always celebrated within the context of worship. A familiar definition of a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. There are two kinds of baptism for us as Presbyterians. One is infant baptism, and the other is adult or believer baptism. Infant baptism happens when we bring our children, as we do time and time again. You see that happen here week after week. When children come forward, and it's a three-sided triangle with God at the top and with the family and the child here and with the church here, and it's an opportunity to really share uh, a commitment to God at that time. And it's God making a commitment to us. Its antecedent is found actually in the Old Testament. Uh, when you look at the, the, the rite of circumcision, when a child would come at age uh, eight days and would be circumcised, and the whole community of faith would support that child. Adult baptism is a public outward profession of an inward spiritual commitment to God through Jesus. There are several modes of baptism, actually three. One is sprinkling, kind of like we'll do here, we do here. And the, another is pouring, where they take a pitcher and pour over the person's head. And then the other is immersion, like you saw in the Jordan River there. We are willing as Presbyterians to do whatever a person wishes. Now, obviously, we don't have uh, the ability to, to do immersion or pouring here this morning, but uh, we, we certainly can do the sprinkling. I've had baptisms in rivers and swimming pools and baptistries, many situations. Baptism shouldn't be just an empty ritual we go through because it's a tradition. It's a family thing. Or you have to do that to become a member. It should always be something that isn't automatic, but something that we do because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's an outward, visible demonstration that we've already come to an inward, spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Baptism is a sacred moment of commitment and action. As I mentioned earlier, if there's any one of you today who has never been baptized and would like to come forward and express your faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. It could be infant baptism or it could be adult baptism where there's both the vertical and the horizontal relationship. I remember several years ago when I was down on the south side that there was a man who came to uh, our great banquet, a man named Tony, and Tony was a, a really neat guy, a great big guy, and he said, could I talk to you afterwards? And we did talk, and he said, you know, when I was a teenager, I came to a point of faith, but I've never been baptized, and he was probably about 40. He said, I just wanted to wait till it was the right moment, and I feel this is the right moment, and I'll never forget his baptism. Uh, as he came forward, uh, and, and actually the baptism the, the baptistry was up here, the baptismal font, 
And several of the men, about 20 of the men, gathered around him. And when we asked him the question, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? His response was, absolutely. And then uh, the, the clerk who was asking the question to the congregation picked up on that, and he asked the same question. If you as a congregation agree uh, to support this one who's being baptized, then say, absolutely. And the congregation together said that same thing. So at this moment, if there's any of you, if there's any one of you who would like to be baptized, I want to give you that opportunity. You can come forward right now, and we would be pleased to baptize you. Is there anyone who would like to? We don't have anyone who said they wanted to ahead of time, so I just want to give that opportunity, as was the case often in the early church. Is there anyone?